to read between the tracks my name is caitlin cromley lynn and i am here with my very good friend and co-host jeffrey edelstein hello everybody hello everybody we are here today uh to talk about one of our favorite albums we are moving all-time favorites it's one of your all-time favorites um oh my god oh my god i'm so excited i am also excited um we are kind of moving away from uh the 1970s which we have been doing for our first few episodes and we are moving into the early 2000s um which for this album which still has a very classic and old old soul feel um, we are going to be covering Amy Winehouse's 2006 album, Back to Black. It's such a beautiful album. And Jeffrey, you're going to get into um, Amy's bio and uh, how she came to arrive at this beautiful creative venture. Okay. So Amy Winehouse, the legend, the queen, everyone's favorite jazz meets pop meets icon musician we are talking about back to black probably one of the greatest albums of the 2000s possibly one of the greatest albums of the 21st century you could have to look at this album and say wow so in 2006 amy winehouse broke onto the music scene with back to black following her uh, earlier album frank um Frank was a jazz attempt album. It was basically to get her out there and to get her noticed. A lot of the songs she didn't write, a lot of the songs she only did arrangements for, and they didn't really show off her talent. But Back to Black was her opportunity to really, really shine. She had a lot of the creative control. She worked with uh, great producers like Mark Ronson. She had a lot of support from all different kinds of really brilliant artists, including the Dap Kings, as her backup band, and she really, really sold it. We all know Amy Winehouse as the um, the person who was in all the tabloids for her substance use and for um, you know coming out of uh, out of the clubs early in the morning. But what we understand in Back to Black is the woman behind the story, the woman who is was a brilliant musician a brilliant songwriter a brilliant vocalist such a brilliant vocalist that tony bennett himself one of the great vocalists of all time said that she had the singular best voice he had ever heard he didn't say that about lady gaga he didn't say that about um any of the other fabulous singers that he recorded with he said it about amy winehouse um so we're going to dive into this album, lyric by lyric, as we have in with all of our other albums. And it's just like, it's a feast. It really, really is. And just a couple sources that Jeffrey and I uh, have used. Um, number one, the 2015 Amy documentary. Absolutely amazing. Highly recommend it. Um, there are a couple books out there that um, there are two books written 
by her parents. Um, we Jeffrey right. and I are not huge fans of her parents, which we'll get into. Um, so I will not recommend uh, either of their books, but just wanted to put it out there that those are out there. But there is a um, biography, uh, Amy Winehouse, the biography, 1983 to 2011, um, which gives a lot of great information about Amy's life uh, through a non, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, vulture-esque uh, lens. So um, with that, um, I think we're just going to get right into it with uh, the, the iconic, yeah. wonderful first the single first the track, album. Rehab, which everyone knows. Rehab. Everyone knows this song. So so I want to I want to give paint a little picture here. In 2006, high school Jeffrey oh my had God. no concept of Amy Winehouse until his dear friend Emma Cava, who he sat with before school every morning in the hallway outside the um, the auto shop by the buses, gave him the news: Amy Winehouse back to black. We listened to it by sharing headphones plugged into her CD player. Wow. And we were both. You are taking me back right now. <laughs> the roof obsessed with this song. Um, we initially, like, we both thought it was hilarious. And the other thing, the other thing is, we didn't realize how genius this was at the time. This song is still one of the greatest songs of the decade. I'm going to say greatest song, one of the greatest songs ever. Um, Rehab is hilariously funny. It's it's saltily sarcastic. It's bitterly. So tongue in cheek. Bitterly resentful and utterly brilliant lyrically, vocally and and um, musically. Um, I, I, I'm going to do this this whole album because I think. Like, my opinion of this album is that it is utterly brilliant and perfect. So just every time I say that, take a shot. Um, <laughs> well, I think we'll be dead, a... Jeffrey. We'll be dead if we do that. I will let the audience know that I am a full glass of wine in, and I just can't get enough of this album. Listening to it, doing the research for it, I'm just, like, over the moon. So, so I apologize in advance. I would like to... This This is not the space to apologize. We we love... This is why right, we're no doing this... no apologies for love. This is why we're doing this podcast, because we have so much love for these albums, and we not only want to share it with our audience, but we want to share um, why these artists put um, these albums out there. So... So, I want to start this song. I just want to read the first verse. They tried to make me go to rehab, and but I said no, no, no. Yes, I've been black, but when I come back, you'll know, no, no. I ain't got the time, and if my daddy thinks I'm fine, he's tried to make me go to rehab, but I won't go, go, go. So the background on this is really interesting. Mark Ronson said in a Rolling Stone interview that this lyric, this hook, they tried to make me go to rehab, came to Amy when she was recording the album in, in Brooklyn um, and they were walking somewhere. He went to like pick her up for yes. like, yep. I guess to go out for something. And she was telling this story about how like her dad wanted her to go to rehab or like how somebody else wanted her to go to rehab. And she said this line and he said, that's a great hook. It's a little gimmicky, but that's a great hook. And she wrote 
the song in like an hour. Yeah. And here it is. Like the other part of this chorus that I really want to point out is, yes, I've been black, but when I come back, she's already referencing the album title and referencing the rest of the composition. Some people think this is the first track on the album because it's the, it's the single, but this is the first track on the album because it sets up all of the, all of the ideas, themes and concepts of the album. Exactly. Um, Exactly. And it's like, I remember when this album, maybe you'll remember this, when this song came out, it was played on like MTV nonstop. And oh, the good old days of MTV. people were talking about it. Non- people would never shut up about the song. It was hugely controversial. They had like daytime news stories about how this song was giving the wrong like message. Yeah. Um, I remember in school, like I had a teacher talking about how bad this was and no one got it. Emma Kava and I got it. Like we eventually we listened to it enough and we're like, she's she's making fun of herself. <laughs> she's making fun of her situation. She's bringing humor to the fact that she is so she is so like unwell that she has to go to rehab and it's a chore to go to rehab. Right. So I I want to get into uh, some of the things that um you're saying but like another quick um piece of background so back to black is um also ha- inspired by um amy winehouse's uh ex-boyfriend or ex-husband rather right, right. um blake uh fielder civil just a couple things um i wanted to highlight there's that one line um where in verse one where she said i'd rather be at home with ray I ain't got 70 days. Ray is a reference to Ray Charles. Um, she makes a lot of, um, she drops a lot of music names in this in this album. Uh, I was reading how in live performances, she would change Ray to Blake. So I'd rather be at home with Blake. Another couple of lines that I wanted to highlight because you were talking about how she makes fun of herself there's that one verse which is absolutely brilliant the man said why do you think you hear i said i got no idea like holy moly i i was not and then that the clincher i'm gonna i'm gonna lose my baby so i always keep a bottle near so this song is really about how she's trying to explain like you know I'm depressed, so I drink. I broke up, my boyfriend and I broke up, so I drink. And I don't have a problem. She actually said, I read this quote from her, and I was like, this, if you could pick a quote that sums up the whole album, it's this. She said in an interview, I drink because I'm in love and have a screwed up relationship. That That is like the whole theme of this song but i think this is the absolute one of the most perfect openers to any album ever it's it's it is a bop banger it is it is both a bop and a banger it is a rager it is a storming tour de force of a song um it really yeah it's it's like it's so begrudging to the idea of having to to do rehab and it's so like it's so like tired of the of the both the reason why you have to go to rehab and the and having to go to rehab it's like please 
I'm not doing this. I can't. It's so exhausting. Well, but so upbeat. Right. Because so like near the end, she says, I don't ever want to drink again. I just, ooh, I just need a friend. I'm not going to spend 10 weeks, have everyone think I'm on the mend. So she's like, I'm not going to do this just because everyone wants me to. Like, I have my own way of coping. Like, just leave me alone. And um, it's not just my pride. It's just till these tears have dried. So it's it's literally just this, like, this is how I'm grieving. I'm going to drink. I'm going to mourn. I don't need to go to rehab. Just let me drink and leave me in peace. And I just, um, going back to that line, I ain't got the time. And if my daddy thinks I'm fine, um, the there was a lot of controversy um, in the Amy documentary because there's a lot of conflicting um, stories from uh, Mitch Winehouse, Amy's dad, how he claims like he tried to get Amy to go to rehab and, you know, um, how he wanted her to get help. Um, but then like Amy's like, oh, um, you know, my dad says I'm fine. And you see it in the documentary. You see footage of him pushing her to like keep touring to keep making money, right, which right. is at the center of a lot of Amy's issues. I I could talk I could talk so much about this this song in general, but um, it's just the perfect opener, absolute perfect opener to to a solid album. We're gonna be talking like this about every track, <laughs> like most of the tracks. We're gonna be we're gonna be going crazy for, um, just like we did with the other albums. But it just so happens that. You know, this, like every album we've done before so far, um, has so many good songs. So let's move on to You Know I'm No Good. The cheating song. And she is like, I have to tell you, this album is so filled with great hooks. Um, meet me, meet you downstairs in the bar and hurt. You rolled your rolled up sleeves and your skull t-shirt. You say, what did you do with him today? And sniffed me out like I was Tangeray. Cause you're my fella, my guy. Hand me your Stella and fly. By the time I'm out the door, you tear men down like Roger Moore. And this is another moment she talks about in the documentary in Amy. Um, and she's always talked about it, how she likes a sense of humor in darker songs. Yes. And the imagery here is so strong. Like I know exactly who this guy is. I've seen this guy. And the... The, this is a really great moment to show what a poetess Amy was. The line here that I really think like sings is, and sniffed me out like I was Tangeray. You learn so much about this guy in the t-shirt from that line. You learn that the speaker in this, in this lyric is an alcoholic because she smells of Tangeray. And you know the guy who's smelling her is also like, that's his drink. Right. Um, and, but he's drinking a Stella. A Stella. He's drinking a, a beer and hands it to her before beating the crap out of the guy she was just right. with. Right. For real. The joke is, the, the joke, the genius of this joke is you tear men down like Roger Moore. Roger Moore, as we all know, was everyone's least favorite Bond, maybe. He was like the comedy Bond, James Bond. Right. And I, I I don't think Amy Winehouse was saying that, like, that's the joke. But the joke is that he thinks he's James Bond by doing this. 
and she's making fun of him. Right. So the funny thing about that line, I was reading about how um, she did not originally want to use Roger Moore in the lyrics. She wanted to use Sean Connery, but there was there was do- door fit. did not rhyme with Connery, so she had to. She was like door Roger Moore. Okay, that works. Um, but it, it is it is very funny. But I think this is such a great song about like an extremely toxic relationship and it's not there there's blame put on him but the blame which i find interesting is so she puts so much on herself let me read the chorus (laughs) let me read this chorus i cheated myself like i knew i would i told you i was trouble you know that i'm no good what Go on. <laughs> Tell us about the self-dread. Tell us about the self-loathing. Tell us about the self <laughs> You got it. Okay. So um, it, it just illustrates this, this cycle. And um, it's th- there's this continuous conversation between her and this guy. You, you, t- you have three people in this narrative. You have Amy. You have the guy she's seeing and the guy she's cheating on her boyfriend with. Um, and... She clearly, in in verse two, she immediately, you get right into the scene. Upstairs in bed with my ex-boy. He's in a place, but I can't get joy. Thinking on you in the final throes. Like, literally while she's orgasming, she's thinking of this, of, of the main guy. And then, this is when my buzzer goes, run out to meet you, um, ch- uh, chips, chips and pitta, as she says. You say, when we married, cause you're not bitter, there'll be none of him no more. I cried for you on the kitchen floor. For you on the kitchen floor. I just I do love too. that lyric. I mean, this whole scene is this whole scene is so descriptive in such a tight, like tight amount of words. In just a few lines, you get this really, really vivid image of how unhappy this character is and how like there's her self-betrayal is so deep um that she's brought to her knees on the kitchen floor that she's knows that she's hurt this this guy right well then the clincher is in verse three which like you feel it in your heart um sweet re sweet reunion jamaica and spain we're like how we were again i'm in the tub you on the seat lick your lips as i soap my feet then you notice little carpet burn my stomach drop and my guts churn you shrug and it's the worst who truly stuck the knife in first the knife in first oh her rhyme scheme is amazing that she came up, she's like Shakespearean rhyming here. Like she's she's bending words to fit the rhyme scheme. Like I can't exaggerate enough how smartly she wrote these lyrics. Like how she just didn't play by the rules. Um, and and your the point of it is like this whole song we've been talking about, like her self-loathing, his behavior, and here it is in this brilliant, brilliant line this brilliant right and i was gonna say so you literally watch the story go from like in the beginning he's literally beating up other guys like he's so passionate and jealous and angry and now we're at the end of the song like end of their story and he sees carpet burns on like i think her knees 
um, like from obviously like having sex or, or whatever with this other guy and you shrug and it's the worst. So now the guy is indifferent, like whatever. Great. Okay, fine. He doesn't care anymore. Doesn't and that's when anymore. it ends with that. Who truly stuck the knife in first, which I just, it's such a great song about an extremely toxic relationship. It's, it tells a great story. Right. And then it goes into the chorus again. Who truly, truly struck the, stuck the knife in first? I cheated myself like I knew I would. And it confirms the chorus. Like the chorus at the beginning is this, in, in throughout the song is just this like summation of what's happening in the verse. And then this chorus repeat is I did it again. Well, and you have like the first song rehab talking about like her, um, alcohol issues with alcohol and depression and this is like a different kind of addiction it's it like right this is a love problem she keeps going she keeps cheating and she doesn't know how to stop and um like that's so not there's another kind of addiction that she's facing but um just just a amazing amazing song about something so incredibly toxic but anyway so let's move on this one is I don't really, I don't know if I can say I have a favorite song on this album. This, if I did have a favorite song in the album, it's later on, later in the track list. But this is maybe my interesting second. Favorite. I love, I love um, um, the, the iconic line for me in this. At like, as soon as she gets into the jazzy beat, and then it's what kind of fuckery is this? I'm like, yes, Amy. <laughs> Yo. We're talking about me and Mr. Jones. This album, this song is so good. The nobody stands in between me and my man. It's me and Mr. Jones. What kind of fuckery is this? Who writes that? You don't get that anymore. You never got that. Even with Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B and Nicki Minaj, they are brilliant rap artists who are very clever writers, very good rhymers. None of them said, what kind of fuckery is this? I mean, they're later and she influenced them. I get it. But no one was writing this way. Nobody was saying, let's take a jazz 60s sound and meld it with, what kind of fuckery is this? And let me tell you, this line is so important in the history of music. It completely stops the show. Because everyone knows this feeling where you walk in on a scene and you are like, what is going on here? What kind of fuckery is this? And the fuckery in this song is thematically linked to the to the former three. So uh, the next line is, you made me miss the Slick Rick gig, oh Slick Rick, and thought I didn't love you when I did, when I did, can't believe you played me on like that. That it's, you're leading me on, I thought I loved you. Clearly, you don't leave, love me. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say that this is this, brilliant because literally, ahead. Amy Winehouse wrote this song about a boyfriend who didn't get her into the show that she wanted to get into. Because the, so the clincher of this is that Mr. Jones is Nazir Jones, aka the rapper Nas. Like it's there's so many levels of brilliance. I, it's so it's funny. So funny. It's so like, and she's like, this is like a real diss track 
for him. Like they were, they were friends during the recording of this, and he he knew about this song. And it's it's a it, it's a diss track. track. It is a diss track, but it's mostly a diss track towards like the guy who didn't get her to the Nas show or the Slick Rick show. Um, but she does make right. digs at Nas. Right. She definitely does. Like in a in a very uh right. funny way. I'm I'm not like a I don't get the history of Nas. I'm not like a huge Nas fan. So when I was like they dated. But like I love the again just so funny in one of the, in the chorus that comes later it's what kind of fuckery are we nowadays you don't mean dick to me and then the harmony is dick to me. And let me tell you this is her best comedy line her best comedy track. I'm going to say this cuz you can't say it. Um, the last chorus is what kind of fuckery are you? Side from Sammy, you're my best black Jew. Best <laughs> black Jew is the harmony. She's saying, aside from Sammy Davis Jr., you're my best black Jew, talking about Nas. I don't know if Nas is Jewish. I looked it up, and it said he, was, he wasn't, but I guess I don't know what the story is there. Um, maybe she's referring to someone else, but I thought that was hilarious that she put that line in there, reminding everyone that Amy Winehouse was Jewish. Um, so... I think we're at like we're at two Jewish female artists so far in this podcast, including Carol King. Um, so this is like a really, really great moment. Um, and by the way, on that note, Amy Winehouse did a recording of "We Used to Love Me Tomorrow." It's my it's favorite. Co- it's it's my favorite cover. It's one of my favorite covers. Go listen to it. I mean, this song to me is line after line is is just really brilliant in joking that the audience can kind of wink right. wink nudge nudge with moving on to just friends we have a softer melody you're, for this you're gonna laugh but i always thought like every time this song came on like either my ipod or like my now i guess modern times my spotify the intro always reminds me of the weather channel <laughs> i don't I it sounds like the wet, like the little weather channel music probably not I, this, this has a real reggae beat, this song. It's, it's a little bit of a deviation from the other arrangements in the album. And it kind of fights the lyrics a little bit, in my opinion. Like the, you kind of hear the beat echo or, or resonate over the lyrics a lot. And I, you can definitely hear the, influence of the dap kings on this the dap kings were um the house band at the studio where she recorded this album or most of this album and um at dap tone in the in new york city and they played on all the whole album and toured with her and you can definitely hear their unique sound on this track but to dive into some of the lyrics when will we get time, get the time to be just friends? It's never safe for us, not even in, even in the evening, because I've been drinking. Not in the morning where your shit works. It's always dangerous when everyone's sleeping. And I've been thinking, can we be alone? Can we be Ugh, alone? It's so sad. When you, What do you think of that? Like that one, let's guide the listeners a little bit there because it's not as literal as the other tracks well, on this album so, so the, far. Well, so the beginning, it, I think especially the line, um, 
like th- there's that couplet because I've been drinking not in the morning where your shit works. I think that line not in the morning where your shit works. That's about Blake doing drugs in the morning because it's like it's their two it's their two addictions right, right. always at war and um it's it's that weird time I guess like after you break up with someone but you can't quite let them go and you're like I I want to keep you in my life and she's she's saying like. Well, you know, when I drink, I want to be with you. And when um, you are like high in the morning, you want to be with me. And it's it's just this really weird, sad dichotomy that, that they have. Yeah, I definitely see the point that like at this point, Amy is writing a song where where she's talking about how her addiction life isn't matching with let's say Blake's addiction life. Um, And they're just kind of spiraling and you can hear the intensity of the melody in the background on this song get, get louder and louder and quieter. And then when the brass comes in during the instrumental interlude, it's, it's kind of playing them off like, like characters on a TV show a little bit. It's kind of like, um, like an, like, um, background music to this this sad life and then we get to the outro when will we get the time to be just friends saying when will right. we get over each other and be able to live with each other right mistakes? and just quick um there's that other um verse uh and no i'm not ashamed but the guilt will kill you if she don't first so you have now that first yep. um instance that it seems that, you know, Blake has left Amy for his... I, I think it was his ex-girlfriend. That's what the, the story was. And then, um, I'll never love you like her. Such an interesting line. Because you usually get the opposite. You'll She'll never love you like I can. She's reversed that lyric or that, that Right. Concept. It's like, you know I'm not good for you, so I'll never love you like she can because she's clearly better. For you and then though we need to find the time to just do this shit together before it gets worse i want to touch you but that just hurts like ow more great oh, imagery, but now we get this is my favorite we get the title track which let me tell you this song is so unbelievably yes, this is my favorite earth shatteringly good like to me, this isn't my favorite. I love this song, don't get me wrong, but it's not the one that I enjoy the most. This song, to me, is one of those songs that you have to compare every other song to. To me, this song, out of this whole album, like, if we want to talk about, like, Carol King being one of the greatest lyricist writers of music ever, if we want to talk about Billy Joel and Elton John and Bernie Taupin and uh, Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham and uh, Christine McVie, we have to say this song is like proof that millennials and Gen Xers and Zennials, like the future is bright or the, I guess not the future anymore, but that this, that there is like a legacy of brilliant songwriting. And that is back to black. When you listen to the song, you can't help but revel 
in the sadness, the depression. You can't help but understand every single emotion that Amy Winehouse was going through when she was going through her relationship with Blake Fielder Civil. It genuinely is a painful song to listen to, and I'm happily married, and I can still, I feel it, like... I don't know how many times I cried listening to this song. I just had a breakup for the audience's knowledge. This song, this album it's, got it's me so through it, raw. but this song it's I so cried every single emotional. time. Like, she literally... At like and it's and it's right in the middle of the album. It's like the exact middle of the album. Right. It's the title song. It's structured again like a musical where the title song is the middle of the album. And we see that a lot in, in title songs. He left no time to regret. Kept his dick wet with the same old safe bet. Me and my head high and my tears dry. Get on without my guy. You went back to what you know, so far removed from all that we went through. And I tread a troubled track. My odds are stacked. I go back to black. We only said goodbye with words. I died a hundred times. You go back to her and I go back. I go back to us. Okay. So let me tear this apart a little bit. First off, we have a we have a hint of sarcasm and comedy. I thought that was bitter. That it's bitter black comedy, but it's bitter black comedy, but it is there. And it's kind of referring back to just friends. Amy throughout this album makes a couple of references to other tracks on the album. We saw that in Rehab. There's two of the tracks are referenced there, including including this one and Tears Dry on My Own. And I think one of the best moments here is And My Tears Dry Get On Without My right. Guy that there's this tenderness of loss that she still refers to him as my guy. Yeah. And that he's so far removed from all that we went through that like it's nothing to him, all of the drama, all of the trouble. And then this is always my interpretation. And I tread a troubled track. My odds are stacked. I'll go back to black. That black is is, is a reference to heroin. And that black is talking about heroin. That because of this she has her odds are stacked that she has no choice but to use heroin to survive to survive the pain of dying a hundred times i took black as depression like go back to the darkness i i think that's fine i think that's a good like a good interpretation too i think it's both but to me it's like this is this is like really clearly also about substance use. Well, yeah, because the verse two, I love you much. It's not enough. You love blow. Right. And I love puff. And life is like a pipe. And I'm a tiny penny rolling up the walls inside. Like, if that's not a reference to substance abuse, I don't know what is, kids. To me, the real impact of this song, besides the lyrics that are here, is the bridge there's this moment if you haven't heard the song please go listen to it there's this moment after an instrument like a brief interlude where the bridge is her just saying black in this very exasperated uh, monotone flat and it's kind of her turning it over in her mind and it's also the background sound is a chorale just exalting And it's this moment where you can imagine she's near death, almost like Pearly Gates moment. Obviously, she's Jewish. That's not a real thing in Judaism. But there's this moment of like heavenly sound 
before the beat picks up again with I go back to, I go back to, and we repeat the chorus in a more desperate tone. We only said goodbye with words. I died a hundred times. You go back to her and I go back to black to. We only said goodbye to, with words. I died a hundred times. You go back to her and I go back to black. She never actually says back to black. She only says it in the first verse and then in this last verse. Almost like each time she leads up to it, she can't say it, the full sentence. And I always thought that was one of the most brilliant pieces of lyric writing I've like ever that she she's so encumbered with the emotion that she can't complete the sentence right and then the other thing i wanted to say about the song is that it has such an eerie ominous like musical um vibe to it like the piano at the beginning you instantly yes. feel like it's very ominous like that like in foreboding and um you you get that vibe that it's it's just right. something terrible is ha- is currently happening something terrible is about to happen and i think what you were saying about that the outro with her saying black 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 it literally is like she's fading in and out of like i, I guess i don't want to say consciousness but um she does seem to be fading in and out um and it's just super eerie highly recommend it please go do it if you don't listen to any other song on this album other than rehab because everyone knows that one please listen to back to black it's absolutely beautiful so we move on then to another really sad song love is the losing game this is my other this is my other favorite and i found out in my research that this was amy's favorite song i understand that i can totally understand i also think this is her most poetic on the album what or one of the most poetic it reads like a poem if you if you yeah, analyze it. it it really sings like i'm not sure if i can really make this claim but to me this song is what really proves her to be a brilliant poet as well as musician well she keeps using extended metaphors which is brilliant exactly. she literally just keeps Do you want to tell us what that is for our non-english major audience <laughs> She's ju- she's making essentially these these comparisons these like comparisons. Um, I'll I'll I think reading it will will be better. Do you want to read it? Sure, I'll read it. So verse one. Um, for you, I was a flame. Love is a losing game. Five story fire as you came. Love is a losing game. One wish I never played. Oh, what a mess we made. And now the final frame love is a losing game and, and I'm, I'm just gonna read through this all the way and then we can yeah, we can yeah. go through it because because i think that you'll it captures like the metaphors played out by the band this is verse two played out by the band love is a losing hand played out by the band love is a losing hand more than i could stand love is a losing hand self-professed profound till the chips were down Though you were, you, though you're a gambling man, love is a losing hand. Now, verse three, last verse. Though I battle blind, love is a fate resigned. Memories mar my mind. Love is a fate resigned. Over futile odds and laughed at by the gods. And now the final frame, love is a losing game. It's a literal freaking poem, people. It is I, a poem. Honestly... I feel like we're about to get quizzed on this. Like, I feel like I'm back in, in, 
<laughs> I'm going to say it. I feel like I'm back in Rio and we have to do a stupid quiz at the beginning of class when we're half awake and can't remember anything. So for those of you who don't know. What is Rio, Rio stand? Class. I was going to say, Jeffrey, what is no, Rio read your eyes stand out. for? Read your eyes out. Caitlin and I have t-shirts saying that we survived this class. It was our it was our survey class at at Drew University, and we literally had to pretty much read a novel a week. It was awful. I failed one of the Rio classes and had to take it over. It was so. it was a hard class. Not, I did not do well in it either. It, it was rough, and like we every morning, like every Tuesday and Thursday, we'd have to go into class and have this stupid quiz on a note card where we'd have to answer three questions about what we read and they were always stupidly hard they were always stupidly hard i i joke i used to joke with abby brin one of our fellow english majors i would always say oh abby you know read your eyes out more like cry your eyes out i know we always (laughs) had so many jokes this i will tell you the reason why I'm bringing this up is because in college, I wrote a whole cover of Rehab about this class. You did? You Absolutely. did? Absolutely. We did. And I was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do a YouTube video. We were all about to do it. And then we didn't do it. But I had like... I was going to say, Jeffrey, you come to this podcast, this episode, without your cover of Rehab oh, no. to present to the audience? <laughs> well, I did it on my radio show. We... we I... I like sang the whole thing back when I had the radio show and you know it was I don't think it had anything to do with it but they did get rid of the class not I'm just saying for everyone's comfort in the audience um but this song is that good that it would be we'd have to be quizzed on it like it's a Sylvia Plath poem like it's a John Donne poem Talk to us about those extended metaphors. Like what? Right. What is? What are you? Where are you seeing those extended metaphors? In every verse, there that she's making some kind of comparison to um to the love that she's lost and like the metaphor that she's tying it to. So, for you, I was a flame like a muse as verse one, um, five story fire as you came, which like what an intense image. Love is a losing game. One wish I never played. Oh, what a mess we made. And now the final frame. So um, th- she's comparing her the love that she lost to the this fire. This fire that consumes everything. Right. Second verse is um, played out by the band. Love is a losing hand. More than I could stand. Love is a losing hand. Till the, and it goes on. Self-professed profound. Till the chips were down. Though you're a gambling man love is a losing hand so um it goes so we have the game that she's talking love is a losing game and now it's love is a losing hand so it's um tying to verse one but also tying to what she's talking about in verse two where um love is not only a game but it's also a hand that you're playing like at a casino and like that go ahead also Here's the, also, to me, there's two. There's a couple of don, double entendres there. Love is a yep. losing frame, uh, or um, what the lyric. So to me, that's bowling frame. Like when you when you're bowling, you measure in frames your your points. But also like you know when something burns, you know you're burning the frame of something. You're burning like the house frame. Um, I also thought of it as the final frame in like a movie shot, right? Like right exactly. before the credits. Exactly mm-hmm. that too, and then love is a losing hand 
I always thought that of like, I, we're not getting married here. Interesting. No one's, that's my a... hand, no one's getting their hand in marriage here. Oh, that's brilliant. Because you have played out by the band. Right. Like literally like the bit like, um, like you're, the I can band. almost pick like the wedding band. Yep. That's, that's a, um, or also like I all, you can picture it like it's a, a band like maybe playing at like a venue and it would be the perfect setting for like a proposal or something. Right. Um, and it's also like, it signals like the kind of like final curtain call, like that you would, I think, see in like a, as you, like a musical, like played out by the band. It's the like outro. And then, um, do you want to get into the metaphor that you see in like verse three? Sure. Do you go ahead? Okay. So then the last one is, um, though I battle blind, love is a fate resigned. Memories mar my mind. Love is a fate resigned. I this is so this my favorite. This is my favorite verse. Like ow, um, over futile odds and laughed at by the gods. And now the final frame, which ties back to that first again, that first verse. Love is a losing game. We have this battle metaphor, ends. and it's like Greek Greek level. Like we're talking yeah, Greek gods. laughed at by the gods. Like holy moly. Well, how like, do you how do you describe the kind of self? pity and self-loathing other than and laughed at by the gods who are like you puny mortal how dare you try to be in love how dare you make the same mistake again well it's that first two it's those first two lines though i battle blind love is a fate resigned so like no matter like she goes in completely like with no, can't see can't like not sure what she's doing and, and no matter what she does the, the same thing is going to happen. Like, right. how sad is that? It's bitterly sad. And Ugh, brilliant. The, the next song, this is my favorite song on the album. I will never get sick of this song. And well, I, I think tracks, I was just going to say, I my it tracks five, Back to Black, six, Love's Losing Game, and track seven, I believe, are like the solid meat of the album. So tears is, dry on their own. Tears dry on their own. Okay. So okay. <laughs> the, the, the intro is important here. She samples for the intro music, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. It has the same yes. intro as Ain't No Mountain High Enough, the Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell version. And that theme is so powerful in this song that she it's sings, a choice. she sings over it. Ain't No Mountain High Enough is one of the most unapologetically optimistic love songs there is. It is this impassioned promise between two lovers that they will always be there for each other. And it's a, it's a similar theme to um, Carol King's You've Got a Friend that we, we loved so much on Tapestry. This song is a really, really reality-smashing answer to that um so and it, it to me this is the song that really summarizes the the relationship that she had with blake so let me let me dive in a little bit all okay. i can ever be to you is the darkness that we knew and this holy crap i've got accustomed to once it was so right when we were at our height waiting for you in the hotel at night I knew I hadn't met my match, but every moment we could snatch, I don't know why I got so attached. It's my responsibility, and you don't owe, owe nothing to me. But to walk away, I have no capacity. 
he walks away the sun goes down he takes the day but i'm gr grown and in your way in this blue shade my tears dry on their own i want to do like let's talk about this verse and then i want to talk about yes. that that idea my tears dry on their own so what do you think of this yes. verse so far so um i think that it's it's very honest i think this is probably one of the most honest takes on her relationship that she has on this album and i think it's the first time we see a little bit of like screw you on here like i other than like the black comedy but like uh, otherwise like you see like a lot of mourning and you do get a lot of mourning but you also get a lot of like you know i'm sad but i'm gonna get over it like you don't get a sense until now that there's that optimism like okay i i think i can get get on with my life now or like i will eventually get on with my life right um because you have like you have these like different dichotomies um like all i can ever be to you is the darkness that we knew once it was so right but then she says i knew i hadn't met my match like hello like how like like I, she knew in her heart that it was like this wasn't the this person wasn't the one but like it's again you have that addiction um like the imagery um i don't know every moment we can snatch i don't know why i got so attached um it's my responsibility which is taking ownership um of, of like being behavior. able to yep um, and also, and you don't know, uh, you don't owe nothing to me, but to walk away, I have no capacity. And I just love the chorus again. So poetic. You have the sun goes down. He takes the day. So if you, and I, but I'm grown. If you literally like on the most simplistic level, think of a plant, a plant needs sun to grow, needs like that kind of like life source. So literally he t like takes her life source and she's still can thrive and and in your way in this blue shade my tears dry on their own i love that interpretation that comparison to a plant it really gives you allows you to appreciate this verse and thank I you i mean i always thought about like he walks away the sun goes down you get this cinematic image of him walking into the sunset he gets oh you his, do for sure sunset. he takes the day he takes the day like we talk about that as like a war term right that the other army wins the day um, but I'm grown. So he wins the battle, but I am the better person for it. Um, right. And in your way, in this blue shade, my tears dry on their own. I That one line, my tears dry on their own. Nobody's wiping my tears for me. I'm responsible for, for myself. I'm going to let them be what they are. I'm going to let them, I'm going to feel the pain. Like I'm not going to dab them. I'm not going to dry them with a handkerchief. I'm going to let them happen and let them dry. I right. love that image. It is so powerful. It is so incredibly validating to anyone who is going through a difficult relationship or breakup. Well, um, the song in general is just like so bittersweet, but triumphant. Like right. underlining, right. you have that triumph. It's that triumphant feeling. I need to get into verse two because the Read last it. line of Read verse it, two Read is it. my favorite. Okay. So I don't understand why do I stress the man? Girl, I hear you. When there's so many big, when there's so many bigger things at hand, like we could have never, like my career, we could have never had it all. We had to hit a wall. So this is inevitable withdrawal, more addiction imagery. 
even if I stop wanting you and perspective pushes through, I'll be some next man's other woman soon. Holy moly. Oh my God. I cannot play myself again. I should just be my own best friend. And my favorite line, not fuck myself in the head with stupid men. Let's (laughs) just like, let's, I, I just can't. This is so dense, dense. It's so incredibly like so much to unpack here. Yeah. Let's, I mean, who hasn't had that moment? I don't understand why do I stress the man. I think even men can relate to this, right? Like, why do I stress wanting to be with someone or wanting to, like, like find someone to help make me whole when there's so many bigger things at hand? At this point, like, Amy's career is about to explode and take off. And she's getting a big opportunity to work with a bunch of really talented musicians and get her first big break album out there. So she's recognizing, why do I care about this guy? We could have never had it all. We had to hit a wall. It's obvious. Like, she's recognizing he's not the girl guy for her. He's not doing what he needs to do. So this is inevitable withdrawal. It's inevitable that they're going to break up, that they're not going to be together forever, that they're not going to be the couple that they want to be. Even if I stop wanting you and perspective pushes through, what a, like... Who hasn't had that moment where they're like, at some point, I'll wake up from my stupidity. I'll be some next man's other woman soon. We get soon. We get more of this self-loathing that she's kind of joking, but also really deliberately pointing out that she is not perfect and that she will. Well, it make calls more back mistakes. to, you know, I'm no good. Right. Absolutely. Calls back to, you know, I'm no good. And I cannot play myself again. She's making a dedication. I should just be my own best friend. She's making a promise and not fuck myself in the head with stupid men. She's yes, saying, girl. I don't want to, <laughs> I can't let myself fall in love with a guy who's going to treat me like garbage again. And then we lead back into our chorus. Then we have our a, a, a further promise. So we are history. The shadows the shadow covers me. The sky above ablaze. And Holy our chorus God. again. I can't tell you how much I love that moment in this song. It is so incredibly uplifting to hear her her soar on those notes. And she really sings them like in this beautiful rise. I don't think Adele didn't reference this when she wrote Fire to the Rain. Like, I think she did. Because... Fire in the rain that. is that image. Your shadows, your shadow covers me. The sky above ablaze. I think Adele heard those two lines and was like, "That's a song for me." And we and Adele has referenced Amy Winehouse many times and has talked about how yes. influential she is. Right. Well, then she literally references those lines again in the verse three, the last verse before the final chorus. I wish I could say no regrets and no emotional deaths. Because as we kiss goodbye, the sun sets. Again, you have that right. Im- the co- consistent imagery of the sun setting, like things are ending. So we are history. The shadow covers me. The sky above a blaze that only lovers see. So she's not a part of that anymore. Like that's the, the um, sun or the sky is literally burning what is left of their relationship this is the last truly upbeat song on this album really you can only say that about 
we have in this song. This is the only song where the music is optimistic. And yes. coming back to our reference to Ain't No Mountain High Enough, that theme plays throughout this song. It it doesn't really, like, it never gets forgotten. And honestly, I, I think Marvin Gaye would have gone insane for this song and thought it was brilliant because it also he also was somebody who talked about the ups and downs of love and and the way that love works and i think her brilliance is is that she takes these uses the 1960s musical themes and takes them to a logical conclusion which is love isn't perfect and love isn't clean love isn't ain't no mountain high enough it's tears dry on their own sometimes and to me this is the most emotionally and musically complex song on the album because it's giving you one optimistic sound and telling you this is what happened i have to put myself back together and try again and try harder and try to break this cycle so right. far, the narrative of the album is really clear. The composition of the album is really brilliant. Oh, I love this song. I that, love the, it. Again, five, five, six, and seven. Solid. The oh, meat no. of the album. But I'm going to tell you, the next one is one of my favorites. <laughs> it's like... I know. I, 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 we, we're... You know, I we're gonna keep talking about how awesome this album is, but we come down from this high of Tears Dry on Their Own to Wake Up Alone. It's like Which is Tears Dry very on Their is like this party song. It's like everything happening all at once. You have this big emotional upheaval, and then you have Wake Up Alone. And let's just dive in. It's yeah, okay in the it's... day. I'm staying busy. <sighs> tied up enough so i don't have to wonder where is he got so sick of crying so just lately when i catch myself i do a 180 i stay up clean the house at least i'm not drinking run around just so i don't have to stop think have to think about thinking the silent sense of content that everyone gets just disappears soon as the sun sets so tears dry on their own night before wake up alone day after yes it it really does feel that way it's the hugest contrast to tears dry because as i said you have that sense of triumphant like hope optimism that's in the in the song tears dry on their own and then you go i think that's like the hope and then this is the reality that you're like trying so hard you're doing everything you can like who hasn't been in this situation where you're literally just doing everything you can to keep yourself distracted and you're dreading the nighttime because the nighttime is when you try and go to sleep. Nothing to distract you. Um, and then um, we get into the chorus, which, oh my God. he go gets for it. He gets fierce in my dreams, seizing my guts. He floods me with dread. Soaked to the soul, he swims in my eyes by the bed. Pour myself over him, moon spilling in, and I wake up alone. That is the friggin' chorus, and ow, that is so what a painful. Beautiful chorus. So beautiful, but it's so you. It really captures that deep, dark abyss of sadness that you face. Um, I like. 
I remember like first first breakup, I constantly had dreams that she's like the, the ones that she's describing where they're so vivid. Like I peep like in front of you like a photograph and the, getting all these like very visceral and raw feelings. Um soaked to the soul, he swims in my eyes by the bed. What do you think of that line? I think you and I have different interpretations of this, but See, I want to I always hear thought that was say. like she's drunk, like the speaker's drunk, and she's, um, he gets, um, pouring myself over him, like emotionally pouring myself, pouring like yourself over a book, that kind of thing. Um, to me, it's soaked to my soul. I, he swims in my, in my eyes by the bed. I always thought of that as like you're drunk and you're seeing things, or you're drunk and you're, you're like on a boat you feel like you're on a boat you feel like you're interesting and yep okay i thought um because you have you have the escalating emotions like seizing my guts flood me with dread soak to the right. soul he swims in my eyes i think of it like when you're crying and like you can see somebody in front of you when you're crying and they're very blurry and i pictured it pour myself over him like crying on him like crying in oh yeah his on in his in the dream like she's crying on him or or crying on top of him or or and the moon spilling in again beautiful image and i wake up alone so like in her dreams she's with him and crying over him and missing him and um filling her with all these like deep dark feelings and then she wakes up and he's not there that's how i interpret it yeah i think we have different interpretations um, I know, but that's okay. That is okay. And then we, you know, the second verse is also like, whew. Yeah. As far as my heart, I'd rather be restless. Second to stop, the sleep catches up and I'm breathless. Because this ache in my chest, because my day is done now. Dark covers me and I cannot run now. My blood running cold, I stand before him. It's all I can do to assure him. When he comes to me, I drip for him tonight, drowning in me, and we bathe under blue moonlight. I know that, like, drip for him tonight is definitely a double entendre. I was Yeah, but we... It. Go ahead. But we're mature adults. <laughs> yes, we are mature adults. But I actually I mean, most of the time that more is crying. Yes. Um, I was going to say, you have that call back to the blue that you see in Tears right. Dry... On their own, um, the blue shade, um, more more callback to blue. So it's we bathe under blue light. So now, um, it seems like they're they're lovers again, if, even if only in her dreams. Right, and then we have a repeat of the chorus. But I think the thing that really sticks is the outro, which is just yes. a repeat of "And I wake up alone." Ugh. And it fades. It it fades up, and it's really like haunting it really, really is haunting lyric it really is so to me is that could have been a really good end to this album that that song and we could have the the other three songs like to me start deviating a little bit from the main themes of the album but they are all i think all pretty solid songs so moving on we have some unholy war which is um, actually very dark. It's incredibly <laughs> very dark. dark. Very dark song. It's it's 
it comes off um, on the surface as like a like undying devotion, which which that is. But once you really get into it, you're like, oh, there's like a suicide pact yep. in it here. It is a we are going to being okay. Um, so let's dive in. Yeah. If my man was fighting some unholy war. Keep in mind, like, Iraq and Afghanistan are going on during this time. UK is sending troops. There's some imagery references there. Um, I would be behind him, straight shook up beside him, with strength he didn't know. It's you I'm fighting for. He can't lose with me in tow. I refuse to let him go. At his side and drunk on pride, we wait for the blow. We put it in writing. But who are you writing for? Just us on kitchen floor. Justice done reciting. My stomach standing still, like you're reading my will. He stands, he still stands in spite of what his scars say. And I'll battle to this battle finale. Just me, my dignity, and my guitar, guitar case. Whoa, whoa. Yes, yes, my man's fighting some unholy war, and I will stand beside you. But who you dying for? I would have died too. I'd like to. And if my man was fighting someone holy war, yeah, if my f man was fighting. It's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. But go. Um, so, go ahead. so number one, she's literally saying, like, we're just going to be addicted to drugs together now. That's literally what she's saying. Like, when they'll fight their, they'll bat their battles together. Um, at his side and drunk on pride, we wait for the blow. I I think that's a novel, another double entendre. I think you have like the final blow where that kills you, um, like metaphorically. But then you have blow like coke, so drugs. Yep. Um. So you have that, and then verse two, which is like where things start to get really dicey. We put in writing, but who are you writing for? Just us on the kitchen floor. Justice done reciting. My stomach standing still, like you're reading my will. Um, and you have like reference to scars, whether that be like track marks, self harm. I'll battle till this bitter finale, very like literal like bitter finale, like di dying in the throes of a drug overdose. Um, just me, my dignity, and this guitar case. Um, so left with very little, and then um, that last part, verse three. Um, um, I will stand beside you, but who are you dying for? And she literally references Blake B. I would have yep. died too. Yep. Um, I'd like to if my man was fighting some unholy war. So literally it's like if you're going down, I'm going down with you. Right. And it doesn't matter because um, if you die, I die. Um, there's no other option. Which is so bleak. Like, oh, it's it, the the album... After tears dry, as you said, after tears dry on your own, it, it's like this huge tonal shift. Like, um, you can picture it, like, which is literally what happened. Um, Amy was starting to get her life together. Um, she and Blake were broken up, and then um, they got back together and got married. And then <laughs> he had a prison stint. <laughs> so um, I think that's like another reference to that. But. Um, just that's when things started getting really bad and when her drug addiction really started taking hold and when the tabloids just pounced on that so um 
yeah, just a very, very dark song. And I was reading about how I think and I think this was referenced in the documentary too, the suicide pact they had um, that this song references. So that's yeah. not even an interpretation, folks. That That's literally she's writing about the suicide pact that they had. Right. I mean, she, she did a lot of um, she had like a lot of journals of. Her, yes. Like her writing process. And you can see them in the documentary. Um, and then we come into He Can Only Hold Her. Perf- which I think would be the perfect closer. I really think it should have ended here. I understand that. Um, I'll make an argument for the last song when we that's get to fine. it. That's fine. But you can. This is a song that's not about Blake. It's about, like, it's an anecdote. It's it's about how, like, her investment in, in a relationship didn't pan out. Um, he can only hold her for so long the lights are on but no one's home she's so vacant her soul is taken he thinks what she's running from now how can he have her heart when it got stole so he tries to pacify her because what's inside her never dies and i want to point out right there um this song doesn't have a rhyme scheme that's the same as other ones um, she plays with a lot of near rhyme and a lot of close rhyme, but she purposely is not rhyming a lot of this song, unlike other songs. Yeah, um, it's an interesting choice. Right. Um, it's interesting because it's a break from the themes of the rest of the album. I we actually see... don't think so, so to be honest. So the theory of the rhyme. So, like, we're English majors, right? Audience, so audience. Yep. This is something we care deeply about the real hits on this album have a really clear rhyme scheme or they have at least rhyme patterns um or they have like deliberate rhymes and this song has um this song has a really different rhyme moment where it what rhymes is what's kind of like linked ideas versus other yeah. songs in this album where the rhyme is to keep the audience paying attention. Right. Um, so I was going to say that um, the the anecdote that I think is behind this is that um, Amy and Blake were on breaks a lot because right. obviously they were very toxic for one another. And at one point she was dating this um, musician chef guy named Alex right. Claire. They were and, pretty serious. Um, I think that's... They were pretty serious, but she ended up leaving him for uh, Blake Fielder Civil. Anyway, um, I think that's who this song is referencing. He can only hold her. Um, he is Alex. Because, like, in her head, um, she's, like, never going to be over Blake. And she'll always go back to him. And I think that's what it's yeah. referencing. And then, of course, as with everybody in, in Amy's life, for the most part, Alex uh, sold his story about his relationship to the with her to the tabloids. And there was, like, a really... I would have to look up the headline, but it was something about, like, um, her bee... I think it was, like, something like Beehive in Oof. Bed, like, playing on Behave. It was not great. Um, so, again, just... Um, the, the, the theme of this song is... It's so beautiful, but it's just, you know... When you're trying to be with someone else, but your your heart and mind are not with this this person, um, kind of similar to you know I'm no good. Um, even if she's not physically cheating on this guy, her heart's not with him; it's with the other person. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Um, 
and again we get some beautiful lyrics here um, even if she's content in his warmth she's plagued with urgency searching kisses the man she misses the man that he longs to be and i'll leave i think we can leave the song with that yeah oh and then we come back we come to the last song on the album addicted i don't like this and song, song i know large, you do it's largely around about cannabis and i mean no it's a hundred percent about cannabis <laughs> right 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 it's a song about cannabis it's it's about like her boyfriend stealing her weed yes which is hilarious i think it's hilarious but like you just had like and i i don't know i'm i'm gonna say my piece let me okay you go ahead you say your let me let me let's let's get a lyric out first and then we'll 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 talk okay tell your boyfriend next time he around to buy his own weed and don't wear my shit down i wouldn't care if brave would give me some more i'd rather leave him than you leave him my dro when you smoke all my weed man, you got to call the green man so I can get mine and you can get wor- yours. Once is enough to make the attack. So bring me a bag and your man can come back. I'll check him at the door, make sure he's got green. I'm tighter than airport security teams. When you smoke all my weed man, you got to call the green man so I can get mine and you can get yours. I'm my own man. So when will you learn that you got a man, but I gots to burn? Don't make no difference if I end up alone. I'd rather have myself and smoke my homegrown. Oh, it's got me addicted. Does more than any dick did. Yeah, I got mine and you got yours. Hey, I can get mine and you get yours. Go ahead. Say what you want to say. Um... Okay. Yes, it's hilarious. I think it's hilarious. I think that it is so freaking out of place on this album. I don't think it belongs on here. It's like we have like a whole album about this this deterioration of this relationship and the roller coaster that comes with this breakup and what have you. Um minus like the the me and Mr. Jones, really. Um and addicted feels like the weird like like it's funny, but it's like tr- trying so hard to be lighthearted when it doesn't belong on this album. Like I, I don't, I don't know where it would go. I just don't think it belongs here. And as like as you're reading, like I'm kind of laughing to myself because I'm like, yeah, this is really funny. But I'm also like eye rolling, like oh my god, like we were literally like there. This is an album with like songs about like suicide packs and like going to rehab and being addicted to drugs and like being addicted to your man and cheating on your man and i don't know i don't know i just don't think it belongs to me this is the bookend song because the first song is called rehab the last song is called addicted that's fair that's fair what um what this song is saying is i have my life you have yours stop smoking my weed essentially saying well it's about her best friend it's her best fr- her best friend's boyfriend keeps stealing right? her weed and she's literally like knock it the f no, that's, off that's literally <laughs> what it is but if we talk about the theme of the album yes. which is this on and again I off know. again relationship this is a song that's saying stop it stop 
stop stealing my weed stop stealing the thing mm-hmm. that keeps me sane stop stealing the thing that allows me to relax so she the the song is saying that through all of this she's saying no finally definitively in a meaningful way even if it's just about the weed it's a little it creates a moment of bitter or resigned hope for the singer for the character for amy okay i think we can accept I'll that. Go with that so that's the album <laughs> i'm just arguing that he can only hold her is the perfect closer in my opinion but i i, I do respect your opinion that um this is a bookend song i just feel like it's the it's so out of place but anyway with that that is back to black amy winehouse's beautiful second and final it's her final recording album the last album with her name on it was actually lioness um treasure hidden treasure right it is the 2011 posthumous um album that is a lot of her singles or just studio recordings which is what um will you still love me tomorrow is on for more amy winehouse i would say that like if you listen to this album listen to the original recording not the deluxe the deluxe has some good like second second disc tracks on it but i think the best way to listen to it is is the original recording um the second discs a lot of them are on lioness lioness has so many really great moments from her we have our day will come beautiful a great opener um tears dry the original version which is a different cut um will you still love me tomorrow which is incredibly beautiful um valerie 68 version for some reason this version is not available on spotify it's it was only available on the cd i would never see this no one ever plays this like on the radio the only version is the mark ronson version which i think is the inferior i saw that ronson this also has her version of the girl from Ipanema. As we know, Amy Winehouse was obsessed with 50s crooner songs. This is her interpretation of that. Um, we, of course, have the original recording of Wake Up Alone, um, her duet with Tony Bennett that appears on his duet album, Body and Soul. Body and Soul. He picked her for that. And then the final song. Which you I forgot the duet probably, with Nas. That's right. She has a duet true. with she Nas does. on there. Her no um, one gets in right. between her and her man. Right. We have what I think <laughs> is her best like vocal presentation is a song for you by Donny Hathaway. Donny Hathaway was her favorite of all time musician. Um, she sings it in such a way that you can oh, barely understand. So the beautiful. Lyrics. But you, her her voice carries the song so beautifully. It's just heartbreaking, and, and it's just so beautiful. Um, so Amy Winehouse, the three albums, Frank, Back to Black, Lioness, Hidden Treasures. I wouldn't say that Frank is something that's worth it. I mean, if you don't want the complete picture, go ahead. Um, and then this year, they actually released her live concert at the BBC, which has some other really, really great songs on it, including her version of I Heard It Through the Grapevine, Yes, we can get into cultural impact. Um, we can also get into um, some of the things that the documentary touched on. Again, cannot highly uh, recommend the documentary enough. I think you and I, Jeffrey, um, had like similar experiences. Like the first time 
watching it, I felt like it was like still very invasive. And I felt like, just leave her alone. Right. Like, she, I, I mean, you, you think about how t- 2021 was like the reckoning of where everybody finally realized that we all treated Britney Spears like crap and the media treated Britney Spears like crap. I'm going to argue that Amy Winehouse had it so much worse in the media. They I really were, do. They were like impossible um, with her. And I mean, like British tabloids do that and she was the perfect prey for them. But it was awful. It was brutal. I remember it. I do too. And I was never one to like laugh at things like that. And it like seeing on like in the supermarket, like front page, like them doing close-ups of the track marks on her arms and her like passed out in a gutter. I'm literally like, why is like no one helping this woman? We're all laughing at her and no one's being like, um, maybe she needs help. Like, Maybe we need to be more sensitive to what's going on. It was just like something to laugh at, right. which again, uh, we right. we see that we see that a lot in in women with women in that era of the the news, just very like invasive, voyeuristic, just no shame, and and just very sad. A couple artists that have been influenced by her adele we've talked about a lot El- ellie goulding other artists do you have other artists i I, I, I don't i don't know how you can be a musician now and not know her and not love her and not learn from her she i i think like in her moment was not the most respected or understood but she didn't did win a grammy for best new artist there was she enough did. popularity for her that allowed her to get that recognition from the music community. And they had no reason to give it to her. No, um, they didn't. She's often compared to Janis Joplin, and they both died at the same age of 27. And it's one of those moments where you can see it, where Janis Joplin was this brilliant writer and brilliant singer and died too young. And Amy is absolutely following in those footsteps. It's right. I mean, the tragedy of Amy Winehouse is unbelievable. We we lost probably one of the greatest singers, songwriters, and just musicians of, and certainly vocalists of pop music history. Really, because her family, her friends, and everyone around her was not looking out for the, her best interests. They were looking out for her career. And Amy Winehouse in the in the documentary talks about wanting to just play jazz and wanting to just go back to small venues and not being able to do that. And that that is always like one of the heartbreaking moments for me when I so when I rewatched it, I was like, This is impossible to watch. It's so upsetting. But it's a worth it is watch. upsetting. It really is, because you you see like there was that one moment with her, her dad, like that was recorded and He's literally like, you gotta go back. And she's like, I don't want to. Like, I don't want to go back on tour. I don't want to go back in the studio. I just, she's literally like, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. And I keep going back to that line, like watching the documentary, listening to her music, seeing how she was exploited in the tabloids. Um, I think of that line calling back to Elton John's Candle in the Wind, like, "You you are the treadmill. I keep thinking you are the treadmill with Amy Winehouse because that's to so many people in her inner circle. That's all she was. It's like, just keep 
going up on stage even though you're drunk or high just keep going on tour even if like you know you, we we might have to cancel some gigs because you're unwell because at least you're going on tour and making some money it was just like how much can we like siphon out of this poor woman who like really just needed to to be her and and you know going back to Adele for a second like very similar Adele does not want a tour Adele right. is like very similar in that sense she she has stopped touring I believe has like focused on her son and she was like if I never have to tour again I'd be happy like she was like I don't like touring I just want to sing that's all I want to do and you get like the same vibe from Amy is just like you know like she just wanted to sing and and as you said do small venues but um everyone just wanted to to take and take and take from her and uh, yeah just just really sad this is such a beautiful record and you know um she really was like such a bright flame that went out too soon the candle burned out long before her legend ever ever will so i am so excited the next album that jeffrey and i are going to be doing is Nevermind by Nirvana, which is one of my favorite albums. And um, I've been a huge fan of Nirvana for a while. And I've also been, from a pop culture standpoint, like fascinated with Kurt Cobain for a while. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this. And we're going to be bringing on a guest speaker for the first time on this podcast. So we're really excited about that. Thank you all so much for sticking with us, for listening to us nerd out about these amazing albums. So this is Caitlin Crowley Lynn signing off. And Jeff Edelstein. And Jeff Edelstein. And uh, guys, we will catch you on the flip side.